0: Father, I praise you this morning for giving us this psalm through your servant David for when the trials of life begin to weigh on us and I pray specifically for anyone in this room who came in feeling the burden of a heavy trial that your word would give them hope, would encourage them and lead them to find the strength that you can provide in a relationship with with you through Jesus Christ please work in Jesus name Amen Amen. our family this week was watching Kentucky closely we have an aunt and uncle that live there and you probably have heard by now that what's called a one in a thousand year rain hit that area and that doesn't mean that that can only happen once every thousand years it just means that in any given year there's only a 0.1% chance of that much rain coming and it happened this year and you've probably been praying along with us for some of the folks out there children swept out of their their parents arms from the violence of these floods a number of people have lost their lives We were thankful that after a couple days of not hearing anything, we heard back from my aunt and my uncle. They had just lost power, but they're okay. But I think about those floods and what happened there. You may have heard is this this front just set up camp there and, and stayed there. And it just kept on raining and raining and raining. It wasn't moving anywhere. And I think about that, and I think about how life can feel like that sometimes. We can feel like, man, there is a front over me, and it is pouring, and it is not moving. We saw this in the, the life of an extended family member recently, a couple Fridays ago. We were hanging out with my brother and his family, and Carolyn got a call. And it turns out it was about her Aunt Kathy, who lives in Florida, years ago she had lost her husband he passed away they had three sons and and more recently some years ago the oldest son died and then a second son died and a couple fridays ago that call was to inform us that her third and final son 35 years old was was found deceased in his apartment and that night we we talked with her on the phone, and I remember distinctly one of the things she said was, I don't know how I'm gonna go on. I think about that and I, I'm aware that there may be some in this room feeling that same thing today. Maybe a similar trial, maybe something very very different. But you're saying, I don't know how I'm gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other. This song. Is for you. It's for all of us. That's why I titled this message, When Life Gets Rough. And we're going to go through four main points. This is the first of them, When Life Gets Rough, and then three others. But under this first one, When Life Gets Rough, rough I, I want to watch David. One of the reasons we love David, if, if you're like me, is he's honest about his tears, he's honest about his pain, he's honest about his trials my go-to book often at three in the morning when I wake up feeling that weight upon me. But I also appreciate what God spoke through him because often we see how to do just what we talked about. How do I keep putting one foot in front of the other as I walk through this? So this first section, verses one through six, I'm going to talk about five things to do when life gets rough. Number one, Acknowledge the Lord first. This is from verse 1. David, David starts out, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now I want you to notice the order here. Before he gets to talking about his trials, he, he talks about his God. I like what A.W. Tozer said along the way. He said, The most important thing about a man or a woman is what he or she thinks about God. What do you think about God this morning, no matter what you're walking through? You think about that question, you say, How in the world could David say, Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? When you, if you know your scriptures at all, you know time after time after time, David was going through it. Sometimes from people he loved. Sometimes from strong enemies. How could he say, of whom shall I be afraid? It's because he knew who God was. What does he say? He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. But what I love about David is these are not just theological facts that he wrote down on a Sunday morning and then chucked away somewhere. This was very personal to him. That's why he says the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. But I want to ask a couple questions. If David needed God to be his light, What does that tell us about David's life? Sometimes his life was dark. Sometimes his life was confusing. If David needed God to be his salvation, what's that tell us about his life? That tells us he needed delivered. Spiritually, yes, often physically as well. If he needed God to be his stronghold, what does that tell us? That there were moments where he felt his own weakness and his need for the strength of God. A stronghold is what? Where you hide out from the enemy. That tells us he needed protection from very real enemies in his life. So that all leads to our second point. Truly acknowledging the Lord in faith will put our fears to rest. But it does not guarantee that trials will not come. We need to understand that. That leads to our second point. Acknowledge the trial. God wants us to bring our trials and our burdens to him. Many of you have lived long enough to know it's not if, but when. Right? Jesus himself said this in John 16:33. In the world you will have tribulation. And that's where David hits in verses two and three. He says, when evildoers assail me, though an army encamp against me, though war rise against me. These are very real things going on in his life and they're weighing on him. But still, even as he acknowledges the trials, there's good news. Let's listen to him. Verse two, when evildoers assail me, eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Why? Because of the Lord's intervention. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because like Caleb and Joshua, He saw the giants in his life, but he also looked beyond them with the eyes of faith to see his God, who was bigger. And what I want to say here is we do not have an accurate view of our trials until we see who God is. Until we see his faithfulness, his power, his sovereignty, his love. Because what did Jesus go on to say? You will have tribulation in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to know the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.11. Even this dark thing I'm walking through right now, yes. Yes, he's still in control. He's still faithful. He still loves me. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see the sun, but because by the sun I see everything else. That's true of our trials as well. When we understand who God is, it helps us see our trials in a more accurate light. But I want to warn you about something. When trials do come in your life, don't try to coast on a past experience that you had with God that leads to our third point i want to encourage you even in the trial aim to continually seek God what does the enemy do when you hit that trial sometimes he doesn't love you he gave up on you otherwise you wouldn't be going through this faith and the truth tells us just the opposite Don't don't give up on God. Continue to seek Him. Verse 4, listen to David. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I want to break this down phrase by phrase because there's a lot here. This is meaty. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, I love where he starts. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want to become closer in my day-to-day fellowship with him. Start where he did. Ask him. Ask him to help you with that. You know, some prayers you have to wonder, is this God's will or not? This is one you don't have to wonder. You ask God for a closer relationship with him from a heart of faith and sincerity, that's a prayer he loves to answer. That will I seek after. I think about that and I think about the fact that a healthy relationship with God cannot be passive. It, he is pursuing God. Do you understand that? What does Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen say? God says, you will seek me and find me when seek me with all your heart. That's active pursuit with all that we are. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I think about that word dwell. I think about living or the New Testament word abiding. House of the Lord in Israel at this time was what? The tabernacle. The tent. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where God's presence centered in Israel. As he says his desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. Some think maybe he was out running from Saul or Absalom and he desired to be back there at the tabernacle. But many think it means more than that as well. See, that earthly tabernacle was just a shadow of the real tabernacle of God in heaven. And David, throughout his life, learned that he could fellowship with God no matter where he was. And he longed for that. But I think about the tabernacle today I think about John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's that? Jesus. And when you look at the Greek word for dwelt there, it can literally mean tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled among us. He he told us in John 2, he is the temple. (laughs) In that tabernacle and temple of old, it was the holy of holies. And there was a veil there. But that veil tore at the cross. And what does Jesus tell us in John 10? 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So we dwell in the house of the Lord today through Jesus. Do You understand that? That's the invitation. He says, all the days of my life. This is more than just some fleeting passion. I went to summer camp and I was, I'm excited about Jesus for a week. And then I forget about him again. He wants it all the days of his life. And he says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What does that mean? To focus on the splendor of who God is. His goodness. His holiness. And that word gaze is important. You know what I think about when I think about gazing? You remember... You're married now when you when you were dating? You remember sometimes you'd be in a room and you'd be your eyes would be just locked on each other so long that sometimes other people are like, hey, there's other people in the room. That's what it means to gaze. It's not just a fleeting glance. He wants to lock his eyes of faith on who God is. Okay? And to inquire in his temple. What's it mean to inquire of God? To say, what would you say in this situation? What, how would you lead me in what I'm facing? You know, when you stand at that fork in the road, it's to do what his son Solomon would later write in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So what now? What now? What's step four? Well, the Lord always keeps his word, right? So ponder his promises. And then number four, anticipate his answer. Anticipate his answer. One of my favorite Old Testament examples of this is from 2 Chronicles 20. I'd encourage you to read that whole chapter this afternoon. I'm just going to summarize it. One of my favorite kings of Judah was a king named Jehoshaphat. There were enemy armies coming and surrounding him. And I love his prayer as he sought the Lord. This is a prayer maybe you could use today. I use it in my life. Jehoshaphat, as part of his prayer, says, Oh, Lord, we do not know what to do. Anybody there today? We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. What a great prayer. How many of us could use that today? And then God spoke to a prophet after Jehoshaphat prayed. And the prophet came and said, this battle's going to be a victory. It's going to be a victory. And then something cool happens. Jehoshaphat told the singers of Israel who sung the praises to God. He said, you go out in front of the army. Now, humanly speaking, what kind of foolish idea is that? Let's put the singers out front. (laughs) Jehoshaphat wasn't thinking on a human level. He was anticipating God's answer to the promise he had already see, had received from God. So they went out in front, and the chapter tells us they went out in front of the army, singing, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Why are they praising God? They trust his character. It's all about who he is, and so they trust he'll keep his word before the battle. And then what happened? When they began to sing and praise the Lord, Set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire who had come against Judah. They all helped to destroy one another. The armies of Judah did not have to lift a sword. God did it. Verse 27, they returned every man of Judah, Jehoshaphat, at their head with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Anticipate his answer. It leads to our fifth and final sub point here don't forget to answer back with praise don't forget to answer back with praise that's what David says verse 6 now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me and I will notice the future tense "I, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy I will sing and make melody to the Lord we have a melody here this morning he said some family members used to love that old, old song to her. In my heart there rings a melody, right? Okay. My dad still sings. <laughs> I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Think about that. You know that a thankful heart is pleasing to God. Think about Luke 17. Ten, ten men came to Jesus all healed of leprosy, and only one Samaritan came back to thank him. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 17, 17? He says, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? This is important because if you're like me, sometimes we ask God and ask God, and then he answers. And before we even thank him, what do we do? We just move on to the next thing on our list, Right? loves a thankful heart in the discipleship part the part that's not easy is it's not just when life is going well first Thessalonians 518 says give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you another question did you know that God loves when thankful hearts burst into song do you know that? That's what David said. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He said, yeah, that's Old Testament. He's the psalmist, of course. We're about Colossians 3. It's written to the New Testament church, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does that characterize my life? And not just on Sunday morning either. Do, do I sing to the Lord with thankfulness in my heart? I think about that and I go back to that Arizona Wranglers football game. I love football. First quarter we're there and I'm yelling so loud. We get about halfway through and because it's Saturday night I look at my son Jaden and I say I better be careful. I'm going to lose my voice because i got to preach tomorrow. (laughs) And I thought to myself, it was a little bit convicting, like whoa, when's the last time I thought that when I was singing from a heart of passion for God on Sunday morning that I'm going to lose my voice here. We sing with thankfulness to God with all we've got. Now, those are five very good things, five important, crucial, biblical things to do when life gets rough. But what lies at the core of all this? This is our second main point. What lies at the core of all this is that David has a reciprocal relationship going with the Lord. By reciprocal, I do not mean equal David knew God was Lord and he was not. What do I mean by reciprocal? They had a back and forth going on in their relationship. It wasn't all God pursuing David. David was also pursuing God. Watch this in verse 7. First you hear David crying out to God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. That's David talking to the Lord, right? And what's he saying? Don't let this prayer bounce off the ceiling. Be gracious to me, even though I know I don't deserve your answer. Please, please answer me. And then verse eight is God. David says, you, God, have said, seek my face. That's something God told Israel over and over and over again. Seek me, seek me. That's God to David and all of Israel. And then David responds back. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. I want to ask us all this morning, do we have that kind of back and forth relationship going with God? Because that's what we're invited to through Jesus Christ. Now notice what I'm not asking. I'm not asking if 30 years ago you prayed a prayer or walked an aisle. As important as that is, that moment we came to faith in Christ, I'm not asking if you believe that you're going to have eternity in heaven someday because of Jesus, which is also true in our hope. I'm asking about today, because eternal life is not just past or future. It's present in the life of the believer. Listen to how Jesus defined eternal life in John 17, three. He's praying to his father and he says, this is eternal life that they know you. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Say, how do I get this back and forth going with him? If that's what's on the table and I can be a part of that, we could spend weeks on that. I'm going to throw out a couple things. If your Bible's on the shelf collecting dust, pull it off. That's his heart for you, believer. Pull it off the shelf. Listen to his heart. What does he have to say to me? Prayer, what does he invite us to do to take our burdens, cast our burdens upon him? He wants us to take our burdens to him. We're not an annoyance. I, I talked to one guy one time. He said, I don't take my request to God. Jesus, Jesus died for me, so I figure I, I don't need to take any other request. But in that same chapter, Paul invites believers to, to take it all because he says, hey, if he took care of that, of course, he'll take care of the rest Bible prayer but then don't miss this one the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us and he is the one as well as the risen Christ who helps us take that prayer in Bible reading out of that time when we do it God's will is it truly be without ceasing with the prayer but sometimes we have a meaningful time in the morning right the Holy Spirit helps us take it out of that time And into our lives. He leads us how to pray. He leads us how to live out what God has said. In our lives. I think about what Jesus said in John 10. He's the good shepherd right. What does he say. He says the good shepherd goes out in front of his sheep. His sheep know his voice. And they follow him. Is that a daily reality for you. That's what's available. Now. I want to take a look at how David prayed when the rubber met the road, when he faced two very specific trials. And as you see these trials he was facing, you may say, I'm there, or I've been there. But much of what we see will apply to any trial in your life. Verse 9, he says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now, I want to zoom in on that center phrase there. He calls God, "O oh, you who have been my help. What's he doing? He's doing one of the best things we can do when we find ourselves in the middle of a trial. Is to remember the trials he's brought us through in the past. Now, I don't know exactly what David was thinking of here. Maybe he was thinking about his days watching over the sheep. He mentions elsewhere, hey, God help me against the lion and the bear. Maybe he's thinking about that battle with Goliath. God help me there. He's going to help me today. Do you have a a working memory of the trials God has already delivered you from? Go back to that. But I don't think it was just David's memories alone. David was part of a covenant community of faith called the nation of Israel. Right? They had many accounts in their history that they talked about over and over. Many of them memorize them. And I think about some of those that they all held on to. I can't help but think about Jacob, the the father of Israel, right? I love Jacob's story. I was reading it in my quiet time this, this weekend. And I think about Genesis 28 when he had left home because of the mess he had made, deceiving his brother, and Esau wanted to kill him. And out in the middle of the wilderness, God met him at a place called Bethel. Genesis 28, 15. And God, among other things, said to him, Behold, Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's Genesis 28. And, you know, he goes on all those twists and turns and adventures with his uncle Laban. Meets his brother Esau in the wilderness. But what happens in Genesis 35? He, He comes back. Genesis 35.3, Jacob says, Let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. You see it? God promised. God accomplished. That would encourage David. That would encourage all of God's people. But I think about Jacob and I think about a a really weird verse when you look at it on the surface where I find encouragement from. You remember God had told Jacob's grandpa Abraham your descendants are going to go into slavery in Egypt but I will deliver them right? And God did that centuries later. They're they're heading out into the wilderness in Exodus 15-27. You'll see why I said this is a weird verse. It says they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Now I'm thinking, who counts? I understand counting the springs of water, but the trees. Who's sitting there like one, two, three, four? The 70 palm trees. And and God led Moses to write it down. You know why I believe he did that? You think about those numbers, 12. And 70 you think back to Genesis 46 27 when Jacob was just going into Egypt and it says all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70 and how many sons 70 and 12 and I think it's one creative way of God saying see <laughs> I told you I'd keep my word I find so much comfort in Jacob's story because he was far from perfect much like me, much like you. And I think sometimes, while well, on the one hand, we underestimate God's holiness. On the other hand, sometimes we forget his faithfulness. And I don't mean I find encouragement in a way that says, I'm going to go out and sin and do whatever I want because God is faithful. I mean, the kind of appreciation that says, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to me, though I don't deserve it. Help me walk with you all the days of my life. What does he promise the believer in Jesus Christ? Philippians 1.6, among other things, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will carry you even through that valley you're in to that glory in his presence one day. So what are the two specific trials? Well, the first one is when others forsake you, When others forsake you, verse 10, he says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, we got to be careful here. Verse 10, where it says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, there's no account of that in scripture anywhere. No indication that his father and mother forsook him. The original Hebrew language helps us here. It could be translated as even if. My father and mother forsook me. Those people in my life that are closest to me that I'm looking to for love and support just they bailed on me. And you're you're hearing that and now you're saying, Hey, that's happened to me. Maybe it was family, maybe it was a friend, maybe someone you go to school with, maybe someone you work with and you were close to, maybe someone in church. You thought they were gonna be there for you, and and they they bailed on you. And you're sitting there today, like, how? here in this relationship. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. What's David's encouragement here? Even if my father and my mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. When all others forsake you, what does God say in Hebrews? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you as Proverbs say in 1824, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is that friend. Trial two, when others slander you, maybe even people you thought you Trusted are going out there saying false things about you, making false accusations with other people. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, David says. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Here it comes, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. You ever been there? You catch word that somebody's saying this or that about you and it wasn't true at all? What is David doing? do here does he fly off the handle does he set off to fight fire with fire no and that's not because he's not human we know of one story where that was his first impulse Uh, a cruel man named Nabal wouldn't help him and his shepherds and David set out to kill them all but for God's grace he, he sent a woman with a message saying you don't want that on your conscience, and David backed off. Yeah, he felt that, like maybe you do, and I do sometimes, but what did he do here? I want you to imagine next time somebody stirring the pot against you, lying about you, maybe even breathing out violence against you, what if we did what David did? We paused and prayed the prayer he did. He said, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. And the believer today has to say, what is the Lord's way when people are reviling me? We look to Peter who tells us the way of Christ. First Peter 2.23, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If we walk in the path of our Savior, we we trust ourselves to the Father. He's, He's got this, and I know that He will judge justly, which leads to the second part of it, pass the vengeance baton to Him. The desire for revenge is a weight far too great for any mere human to carry. Romans 12, 19, beloved, never Avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord it's this attitude that says yeah God my enemies have a will and it's against me right now but their will is not sovereign so I am trusting this to you Charles Spurgeon had some very strong words as he commented on this verse in his treasury of David. He said, they who breathe out cruelty may well expect to breathe their native air in hell. Let persecutors beware. Do we long for that as believers? No, even God himself said in Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, rather that they repent and live But we do take solace in the fact that one day God will make all things right so I can give this to him. Listen, bottom line, whether someone you love is forsaking you or someone you love is slandering you or it's another trial that you're facing this morning, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. He's there for you. But I want to close with a caution. And if you've lived any amount of time, you know this is true. God's answers are not always as immediate as we would like. And they are not always what we would expect or devise on our own. His ways are higher than ours. So as we close, we'll hit on something we need at some point in our lives. We all will. And I call this faith in the waiting room. Faith in the waiting room, the art of patient anticipation in the life of the believer. None of us like to wait. I left for the first service this morning, pulled in a gas station, and was ready to get back on the road, and there was a guy just sitting there. No traffic coming. And by God's grace, I didn't lay on the horn, but I'm looking at the clock like, I don't like to wait any more than you do. And, and That's one thing, something silly like that, but when it, you're going through a hard time, It's really uncomfortable to wait. But I want to close where David closes, talking about two things. First, faith and waiting. They're they're related, okay? They're like two sides of the same coin. Let me talk about faith first. Verse 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What does that mean? To me, I read that and it's like, David's saying, hey, even in the middle of this darkness I'm facing right now, I believe in faith that God is good, and I will see his goodness. He says, in the land of the living, the scholars are divided on what that means. Some believe it means here in this life, and maybe you've experienced that. Even in a trial, you see God's hand at work, and you say, I I see his goodness. Some believe it's speaking primarily of heaven, Matthew Henry, the old commentator, said, this is the land of the dying here. (laughs) Heaven is the land of the living. Listen, I've seen it in this life, and I believe I'll see it in the life to come. One day in eternity, all will be made right. We will gaze upon his goodness forever. But I think about this life one of the, the ways his goodness is seen, and I think about a world that needs to see the goodness of God. I think about that's part of the reason you and I are still here. There's a world out there that many of them, every day, is bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Trials. Suffering. I think about Terry, the man that, that 15 of you showed up Friday night to, to help weed. And I think about he and his wife moved here three or four years ago. Their health started to decline. She passed away in January. He's now in a wheelchair. Think about all the hurt he's gone through. And I saw that team show up and some with chili and cookies and a lot of weeds were taken care of in about an hour. And then his neighbors came over. And right before we were about to pray as a group, the wife and the neighbor family, she just started crying. And she said, I can't even believe this. I can't believe this. And a couple times she choked up. And as I pondered that, I'm like, what happened there? What happened there is she saw the love of Jesus through his body. And she was reminded that, yeah, life is often very dark. But there is still goodness in the world. Perhaps even as far as God is still at work in this world. Hold on in the middle of your trial. You will see the goodness of God. What about the patient anticipation? Here's where the waiting comes in. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I got a question here. Who's David talking to? The scholars debate this, but it sounds to me like he's talking to himself. He's encouraging himself in the middle of his trial. As Carolyn and I talked about this, we were talking about, hey, it's okay to talk to yourself. It's okay. As long as you tell yourself the truth, right? As long as you tell yourself the truth, that's what he's doing. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Waiting, that's the patience, right, for the Lord. That's the anticipation. I know who my Lord is. Them together, and I kind of paraphrase like this: like David saying, Hey, God's timing and his ways may be different than I'd prefer or like, but I'm not going to give up on him. I know he will come through. I know all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a New Testament truth, right? But in the middle of this talk about waiting, what does he say? He says, Let your heart take courage. Now, is this saying, Work up your own courage, like do some navel gazing and see what kind of courage you can work out of yourself, David. You think that's what it is? I don't think so. Not because of the way it's worded. It says, let your heart take courage. I think that means position yourself in your relationship with God in a way where you're able through faith to receive the courage that he can pour into you. The faith of the the lion, the the strength of the lion of Judah. What does Proverbs 28.1 say? The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I think about that, and I think about a a clip I saw on Facebook this week. My friend Mark put it out there. Maybe you've seen it. The, The caption put on it is, when the devil thinks he's got you, but you got the Holy Spirit in you. And what happens in the clip, and it it plays Eye of the Tiger in the background, which makes it all the more awesome. (laughs) When Satan thinks he's got you, but the Holy Spirit lives in you, this jaguar comes to the edge of a river to get a drink, and almost instantly this huge crocodile or alligator grabs onto him, pulls him out in the water, and, He's rolling around doing that death roll, and you don't see the jaguar, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, it's all over for the jaguar. And then a couple seconds later, you see that jaguar bite down on that crocodile's neck and drag him up the dirt hill by the side of the river. And all of a sudden, he's got a meal. I know there are times, especially in the middle of a trial, believer, where it feels like Satan has you. I also know what John tells us in the New Testament. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As we close, I want to tell two brief stories about those two realities of faith and waiting. First, the faith in the middle of a trial. A couple years ago or so, many of you know that Christian musician Toby Mack lost his son unexpectedly. If you're going through a trial like that or any other trial, I strongly recommend his new album that just came out on Spotify called All About You. It's his conversation with God, lamenting, and about his faith in the middle of it. It's about his son. Beautiful expression, what it's like to walk through a trial, be real about the tears and the pain, but hold on to God. But around that same time, a lesser known man, an author named Tim Challies, Christian author. Also lost their son. The way he told it, his son was 20 years old in 2020 at seminary, leading some fellow seminarians in a game, when all of a sudden his heart just stopped and he died. Having three boys, I thought a lot about that. Wow. I want to share with you something he wrote in a recent article looking back talk about faith he says we don't know all the reasons why god chose to take nick to himself at such a young age but neither do we have any right to demand answers from our god or to insist that he account for his providence our confidence rests not in his explanation but in his character not in what he has done but in who he is Well, we say that in the middle of our trial today, whatever it is. Now I think about waiting. I read about missionary Adoniram Judson. You want some encouragement in your life? Read the Bible first. Read Christian biographies. Adoniram Judson, I, I read a quote from his story shared by J. Vernon McGee. He was in Burma, 12 long years without a single convert as a missionary. 12 years. And it got to the point where the missions board back here looked at things and said, ah, this is not working out. So they tried to send him a a letter to tactfully say it's time to come home. And in the letter, they asked him a question. The question they asked him is, how are the prospects in Burma? His answer is where it's at. He you know what he said? He said the prospects are as bright as the promises of God. And he stayed there, and revival broke out. That's waiting. And waiting in the Bible is not passive. It's it's walking with the Lord. It's talking to Him. It's it's taking it to Him and obeying Him, even in the dark. I want to Close with a quote from Matthew Henry. As even the best saints are subject to faint when their troubles become grievous and tedious. Their spirits are overwhelmed and their flesh and heart fail. But faith is a sovereign cordial. It keeps them from desponding under their burden and from despairing of relief. It keeps them hoping and praying and waiting and keeps up in them good thoughts of God Lord I thank you so much for the psalms man makes me thank you for Job and Ecclesiastes and Habakkuk and other places where you see people wrestling with trials and real hard questions for you but we also see your faithfulness And your character in the midst of the darkness. Oh, how we need that. And I just lift up whoever here is in the middle of one of those moments today. Saying, I don't know how I'm going to go on. Maybe they came in here feeling like that, looking to hear from you. May this be your message to them. You can go on with Jesus. In Jesus, there is always hope. Nothing shows that as clearly as the cross. From one perspective, you could call that the darkest day in human history when man crucified God. But in God's sovereignty, you turned it around. He rose again, made the offer of salvation to all who will believe. He overcame. book of Revelation repeatedly calls his children overcomers. Help us to hold on to believe that we will see the goodness of the Lord and to persevere. Lord, I pray that as we take our offering this morning, you'd help us as a church to use it to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. It's only through him that we dwell in the tabernacle of the Lord and enjoy that eternal life today. In Jesus' name, amen.